so we're in the middle of our Preach What We Practice sermon series. Um, we're talking about storylines, core practices, right? Uh, devotion, formation, community, mission, and generosity. And I'm talking about community this week. So the series aims to help us uh, talk about living out our shared way of life in the world. Uh, when I started to prepare for this, I was like, okay, I do not want to say anything like, well, Americans are individualistic and we just have to do be better. Uh, because I feel like that's what everybody blames our lack of community on. But Paul is actually writing to people who uh, were from more community-oriented cultures. And true spiritual community was still a problem and something he wanted to talk to them about. And also, I didn't know that the whole gent- I didn't realize the Gentiles verse was at the end. So we're not going to talk about that at the end. Just leave that alone. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little... Um, so as I was preparing, I read, um, I wanted to read some books. I think I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together, which some of it applies to us because part of it is about a commune, and we're not a commune. Um, and he said some weird things like, only unison singing is glorifying to the Lord, and I know that y'all, well, no, no parts. You can't have harmonies. I agree. <laughs> But he had some really good stuff. And then I read a book called uh, Community by a guy named Peter Block. And he's a non-spiritual person who facilitates um, the creation of community in different contexts. And it was really good. And one of the things I noticed as I was reading those and thinking about my experiences of community and reading the Bible passage was that um, there were some things that started to emerge not as like a... Uh, not as shoulds of community, not as this is how you do community, but more like these are descriptions of the ways that I've experienced community in the past. Um, And so those books really resonated with me. Um, Yeah, okay. One of the things that they talked about is how, that Peter Block talked about, is how community is born when we humble ourselves to create something together that's positive. So not something that's retributive or negative, like we're against something, right? We're all formed together against something. But when we've come together to create something positive. Um, he also talks about how community is corporate possibility, not just uh, a bunch of individuals coming together and deciding that we're all going to do our best and hope that that results in community, but that deciding we're all going to come together and corporately do our best. So in order to create something positive together and in order to do it corporately, we have to have a sense of our own ownership in it and a sense of our own needfulness of other people, which is a really delicate balance because a lot of times we either want to resign ourselves to needing you know, people or we want to resign ourselves to being the owners and everyone else needs us and it kind of goes back and forth. And so what we actually need is a mix of the two. Um, but that is almost a humanly impossible balance. Like, I, don't, I can't think of any really great examples of that. I mean, except Jesus, which is always the answer in church. Um, so when we read a passage like this, uh, when Paul's talking about community, we're almost like immediately skeptical because it sounds really flowery and sort of too good to be true. Because we've been in community um, with other people when it's not gone well. Uh, And we can think of examples of humble and gentle people, but it's really hard to think of examples of 
uh, a whole community that is characterized by humility and gentleness and cooperation. Um, because of, you know, I mean, the, the original sin was Eve trying to be equal with God, or one of them, Eve trying to be equal with God. Cain then, like, kills his brother because he wants to be more powerful than his brother Abel. He wants to be more like than his brother Abel. Uh, Jesus' followers, some of the first questions that they ask him about community are, which one of us is the greatest? Right? Um, We tend to try to dominate each other, and that's kind of a human sin and characteristic. Um, When we are asked to submit, it's hard, either because a submission is forced on us, or our trust has been abused, um, by people who are in spiritual authority. A lot of times we seek our own growth instead of the growth of others around us. And we all carry scars from things that weren't our fault that happened to us that prevent us from trusting people, from letting people in, giving ourselves to others. A lot of times we don't want to offer our gifts um, or open up and share our needs because doing that gives other people power over our worthiness. Um, They can reject us if they know what's really going on inside of us. And then on top of all that, we put responsibility for unity on leaders because it's their job to lead us to unity. And then we also put the responsibility on the marginalized because it's their responsibility to go along with what the rest of us or, you know, the center wants. Um, I want to go through the passage together. So, could, Coy, could you put the passage back up on the screen for me? Thank you. Um, yeah, not the Malachi one. So if you have um, a Bible that you want to follow along in, you are welcome to. It's Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. So he says, I, therefore, I'm, I'm reading NRSV, so if you're not doing in our NIV, that's good, too. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And this is the calling of reconciliation that uh, we talked about earlier, I think, with the Gentiles and how we're now, like, one body together. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Um, I really tried to stay away from things in preparing this that tell us, just do it anyway, because I think that a lot of times the message of Christian community is, just do it. Just don't worry about it. Jesus just wants you to mm, knuckle under and do it. Um, I think here he's not really talking about that. Like making every effort is not talking about that. But why make every effort unless you're working toward a goal? Um, If we're just sitting next to each other in church and we're just bearing with each other, you know, and the fact that someone coughs or sings loud or whatever else, that's not bearing with each other. And so when we work together towards a common goal, that's when we learn. uh, We learn each other. We learn to show each other humility, gentleness. We learn how to be patient with each other and to bear with each other. And we learn how to make every effort because we're working towards something together. Um, Bonhoeffer talks about this in four different ministries of community. I felt like this was the best part of the book. He said that the first one is meekness. So the first step um, 
toward being in spiritual community with other people is realizing that we as ourselves are sinners uh, and that we are uh, that we need other people so maintenance is the first one and then listening uh, we listen to other people we have to do that before we can do anything else and then serving serving being allowing ourselves to be interrupted uh, allowing our lives to be interrupted by the people in our community and then bearing with each other um, and again, not bearing with each other in politeness, but bearing with each other as we do things together. So Paul goes on to say, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Uh, so how do we relate to each other in humility if sort of our original condition is to not relate to each other in humility. We do that through Christ, through the reconciliation that he's brought us. So each person has to relate to the others as equals under Christ. And that's how we can be unified and why we can't fix other people. <laughs> because we are, all, um, we are all under Christ. Through Jesus, we have the hope of resurrection from the dead aspects of our interpersonal relationships like domination or self-protection or the emphasis on individuals. It's like it's not humanly possible uh, or no, I can think of a lot of examples where there is great community. It's not humanly possible I think to eradicate some of these things without the power of the cross and the power of Jesus' resurrection specifically. Okay, he says that each one of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. And then I'm going to skip down. The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the full stature of Christ. So what I think is interesting about this is he talks about uh, giving us gifts, and he talks about it specifically relating to captivity. Um, when you think about the Israelites, they wanted a king. Like God didn't want to give them a king, but they wanted a king. They're like, we need someone to tell us what to do. And that captivity where we need someone to tell us what to do uh, so that we can follow it is something that we've been freed from in Jesus. And with that freedom came gifts so that we could be part of the ownership of our community, so that we would have the power within ourselves as a community to do things together. Uh, not just like a top-down thing, but that we within us have the tools to do what we want to do. Um, we have our gifts not to dictate to each other, but to collaborate. So like if we had, um, and we've talked about fivefold leadership before, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, and I think that's a really great leadership structure. Um, but a lot of times we place emphasis on certain gifts, um, like pastoring or teaching or those kinds of things, right? Um, he uses the analogy of a body here. And if you have a body where your legs are, like, growing at a ridiculous rate compared to your arms, it's not going to work right. Or if you have um, something where your muscles are getting stronger faster than your bones are growing, it's just not going to work. And so 
he's not saying that certain ones are more important. He's saying we all kind of have to grow together in order to come into maturity in Christ. Uh, Paul says, We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. Um, I have heard this so much. Like, you know, you have to make sure that whoever you're learning your doctrine from has got it right. You know, if you're, you've got to make sure your pastor or the books you're reading have got it right, that they're in line with the Bible. And this is kind of that, you know, don't be thrown around and blown by every new idea of doctrine. I actually, like, in the context of this passage, I think it might be talking more about how um, we, within ourselves, not just that we need to find the right leader, but that we, within ourselves, must no longer be children, and we have to use our gifts, and we have to not be tossed and blown around by every person that comes along and tells us what to do. And he's saying that we have that ability now because we've been gifted in Christ. Um, we need to assume ownership over our role in the community. Have y'all ever watched Band of Brothers? Did anyone watch Band of Brothers? Oh, oh my goodness. You're missing. Oh, you're missing out on so much good stuff. Okay. So Band of Brothers is like an old, I think it came out in 2001, but it was um, a sort of fictionalized version of the story of Easy Company, which was a paratrooper regiment in World War II. And they were some of the first paratroopers, like no one had ever done it, and so they were getting double pay. So a lot of them signed up because even though they didn't know what they were doing and they were scared because they were going to be jumping out of planes, uh, they signed up because they would get double pay. Um, so it was kind of some daredevils and, you know, guys who weren't afraid of things. Um, the first episode is them, like, training at this camp, and there's a mountain called Curahee, and their motto is, like, three miles up, three miles down, because they run up it all the time, and they run up it and down it, three miles up, three miles down. Uh, their commanding officer and, like, training officer is... Uh, his name is Sobel, and um, he's played by David Schwimmer, who is, you know, Roth in Friends, and he's a real jerk. And, like, in the series, he gets his comeuppance, and I'm always like, yeah, take that, Roth Geller. <laughs> Roth Geller's kind of a jerk, too. Um, <clears throat> so, Sobel is, like, running them up and down this hill, and he runs them after they've had giant meals of spaghetti, and he runs them after they've, like, had no water, Right? And so one day they're running up <coughs> and they run down and then um, Sobel's like, do you have water in your canteen? And someone had water in their canteen and he made him pour it out and run it again by himself. So he's running up Curry and Sobel's like standing right beside him, running right beside him, telling him how much he's, how terrible he is and he's never going to make it. And all of a sudden some of his friends come up behind him and then they're all there behind him. And then they just are running together, and they just pass Sobel, and he's standing there and watching them. And it's this really pivotal moment where they went from doing something like he required them to run up and down the hill, but all of a sudden they were doing it because as a group they wanted to do it and because they were um, doing it together. And that's the point where they kind of turn from being just a bunch of individual people to being people who are on mission together, I guess who are a community. Um, I love that. I love that show. If you Really, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. 
It has lots of lessons about leadership and community. Also lots of fighting. So that's good. <coughs> that's good. So yeah, they assumed ownership in their community, right? They didn't just let Sobel push them around. Uh, and then even later when they had leaders, they submitted to those leaders, but it was still, they had ownership in what they were doing together. Okay, so Paul finishes up saying, by speaking, speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. And that's, we're not going to talk about the Gentile bit. Um, so we grow in the passage. We grow when we're simultaneously working properly within ourselves and when we're also joined and working properly together in community. And that's a mixture of contribution and humility. So knowing what we have to contribute, but knowing that others also have things to contribute. Um, so we build community through strong commitment to a common goal of positive creation, and then through humility and yielding. So have you guys ever experienced community through creating something positive with others? Um, 
I had an example. Our PTA uh, is our PTA is really interesting. And the last two years, we had someone who kind of had a vision for what she wanted to do. And more than just having a vision, she was really passionate about getting, like, asking people to get involved and handing things off to them. And uh, I think it made a huge difference that we all wanted to do something together, but also that we were empowered to do it together, right? Okay, I have another story for you, and this is the last one. Um, actually, I went to A&M, and... Yes. And every time, you know how yell leaders at the, uh, the night before a game, they'll do all these different things that yell practice, and they'll say, I got a little story for you, Egg. And it always ends with something terrible happening, and then, and that's what we're going to do to them. Okay, but that's not how this story goes, okay? <laughs> Although, I guess it could. I mean, I could end it with, and that's what we're going to do to them. Okay, but... Um, but it's a good story, not a, you know, terrible story. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, uh, you heard of Boys in the Boat? Anybody heard of Boys in the Boat? Izzy Ryan. Hey, Gordon. Yeah. Okay, Gordon and Ryan. There we go. Okay, so it's the story of this University of Washington eight-org crew team who competed in the Olympics in 1936 in Germany. Um, and it begins by following the early life of, well, one of the guys, his name is Joe Rance. Uh, I mean, one of the boys, but of course he's a college student, he's, he's a man. Um, his mother died when he was really young, and his father eventually remarried, but his new wife did not like Joe and did not want him to be part of the family, and so there were various points where they left him with other relatives or sent him off. And then when he was 15, um, his father just came to him and said, we're leaving today. And he's like, okay, I'll pack my stuff. And he's like, no, you're not coming with us. And they left him in this house that was in disrepair, and he just watches them drive off. And it's, I mean, it's heart-wrenching. And so he had a difficult time trusting anyone after that, and he tried to be as self-sufficient as possible because he had to be as self-sufficient as possible. Um, when he got to the University of Washington, he tried out for the crew team, uh, and even though he made it, and he made it through the training, which is really difficult, and even though he was exceptionally talented, any boat that he was in had an uneven performance. So sometimes they'd be going fast, and then they'd be slow, and then they'd be fast, and then they'd catch a crab, which is where the oar kind of pops out. Um, and rowing required extreme synchronization, and while he was technically proficient, um, he wasn't able to like form relationships with the people that he was in the boat with. They didn't know that he worked at the Y, yeah, the YMCA as a janitor at night because he couldn't afford tuition. They wondered why he only had one sweater and, or only wore one sweater, and they didn't know because it was because he only had one sweater. They didn't know anything about him. Um, the coaches kept switching him around, uh, trying him in different boats and seats, but then they just eventually gave up. They wanted to use him because he was really good, but they just couldn't figure out what was going on with him. Um, then the man who built the boats, or the shells for the team, his name was George Pocock, and he built shells, he's from England, and he built shells for all kinds of teams in the United States. Um, he started mentoring Joe and talking to him while he was, they were building boats together. And he said that what mattered more then how hard a man rode was how well everything he did in the boat harmonized with what the other fellows were doing. And a man couldn't harmonize with his crewmates 
unless he opened his heart to them. He had to care about his crew. And so Joe began to try to trust his teammates, and because he was looking for reasons to trust them, he started to find them. Uh, He started to see things that he hadn't seen before, like how when he got in the boat, his friend Shorty Hunt would clap him on the shoulder and say, I got your back, Joe. And he started to be able to believe that Shorty had his back, right? And then the boat really started to fly. In the, boat it said, in the book it says, good crews are good ones of personality. Someone to lead the charge, someone to hold something in reserve, someone to pick a fight, someone to make peace, someone to think things through, someone to charge ahead without thinking. Somehow all this must mesh, and that's the steepest challenge. Even after the right mixture is found, each man or woman in the boat must recognize his or her place in the fabric of the crew, accept it, and accept the others as they are. And I read that, or I think I was listening to it, on, a, on an elliptical at the YMCA, and I was just like, oh, it's so beautiful, <laughs> you know, because so often we conceive of unity as no one ever picking a fight, right, and no one ever standing up for what they, they believe should happen. Um, unity is we never charge ahead without everyone being together. And yet this is a picture of unity, and I think the passage that Paul is, like, in the passage where Paul is talking about, it's a picture of unity, where unity comes not through everyone being the same, but through us accepting each other's differences and capitalizing on them instead of resenting them. So that boat and those men, including Joe, that one boat, were able to qualify for the Olympics and then to win in Germany in front of Hitler in spite of many obstacles. Germany pushed them to the outside lane where it was the course was longer, it was really windy, it was really rainy, and yet they did something amazing, um, and they won. The book, part of the book ends with the challenges that they had faced together had taught them humility, the need to subsume their individual egos for the sake of the boat as a whole, and humility was the common gateway through which they were now able to come together and begin to do what they had not been able to do before. Um, this actually made me think about worship, weekly worship gathering, because I remember two years ago when we were doing this, wondering how we were going to join the groups and how we were going to foster a sense of community among the groups. And as I look back over the last two years, what I see is that how we fostered a sense of community is by working together to make this the space that we want it to be. So when we contribute our gifts and we try to make this a welcoming space and a loving space and a rejuvenating space, that's what brings us together more than just being in the same room together, right? Um, So I thought of y'all when I read that. So I have a very open-ended question for you. What do you want to do, you know, hopefully in community, that you've not done before? Is there something that you always think, I wish I could do this, I wish I could do something in my neighborhood, but you don't know how to do it?
I am in the little creek behind my house in my pajamas calling for my cat who is playing in the wilderness. And I see a neighbor across the creek out on their back porch. And I know they're kind of watching me. I go, Georgie! <laughs> He's not coming. And I was thinking, I should know them. Why don't I know the person who probably sees me trailing all over the backyard trying to find my pets who are always running loose? And I thought, you know, why am I not? Why do I at least know their name? Or I was meeting with them. They just text me sometimes for even their backyard and say, hey, your cat's going crazy over here. So that really just resonated with me because last night I was just thinking about I need to be more present where I live. Together and I'll focus on me. 
wow, this is so cool. And it didn't last. And I just, I'm bored. And then we don't do Somebody gets some big crisis and we all come together like a bunch of caring, sweet, you know, humans. That's the churches and the second people. And then I went, wow. And then I got this. Mm-hmm. I, I read an analysis recently that Yeah, that part where I talked about the downsides of the community was about twice as long, and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't list all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry to bring that down. No, no, no. Like, so that's, that's a very real, I mean, it's very real. It's like, we, we have seen this dark side of community. We don't want to trust people, and we've been hurt by people. I mean, like, it's all kind of standing in our way. Um, it's all, I mean, it's all standing in our way. I mean, I think God sees that and knows that and loves us anyway. And hopefully, like, surrounds us with people. I think in, in my life and I, in that story, it's like, he didn't just leave Joe where he was. He surrounded him with people that Joe could trust and with people who were going to speak truth to him. And I think that that's um, where I've seen community come out of my life is where, yes, I don't trust people. But then when God sends me someone and I'm like, oh, maybe I can trust them. And then I get to a little more, I'm like, definitely, okay, okay. That's where, you know, but we don't find that without showing up for community. Like an excellent I was thinking about conversation last week about formation and how we form to be more like God. And in the language of this text, like there's it's, there's this o- big overlap between community and mission and formation with the language of infancy and maturity and the pathway to maturity is it revolves around works and service mm-hmm. that uh, God, Christ gives gifts for for people to equip the church to do works of service, and those works of service build the church up into community. It's like this the 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 shared sense of community around something positive. Not only does it create community, but part of the way that it creates community is by forming us. Like we are formed into better people. The way that Joe became more loving and trusting by, by opening to the people around us. I think that's really significant because a lot of the, in my perceptions even, like when I think about formation, I think about private, individual disciplines. Like I pray in my prayer closet and I read the Bible and I think positive thoughts, you know, about God or whatever. But like the language of this text is that formation happens in community by doing together, by works of service. Well, there's something else that goes with that too, Charles, for me, is that that whole thing starts off with walk to a way that's appropriate to call it. But how often do you say, well, what's the call? The call goes back to chapter one, which means the call chosen to be adopted as a The entire book is about community. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? I think, guys, for the discussion, for the engagement. And that's what we're going to do to him. Okay, yeah. We're going to, yeah. <laughs> Y'all were waiting for it. Yeah, humility was the common gateway. We're going to come together and begin to do what we've not been able to do before. And that's what we're going to do to him. Okay, that's it. We're going to be humble and serve people. <laughs> okay. Um, mission prayers at the time in our gathering. Uh, <clears throat> where we share a story. Oh, you know what? I'm going to pray. Let's let's pray together. Let's, let's not move on before we pray. 
Uh, God, I just thank you for this community here. Um, I thank you not because we are a great community and self-sufficient unto ourselves, but that each of us represents um, somewhere in the world that you have placed us and called us to be and that we want to be alike there and that we've come together to gather around um, your love and your truth and your grace and that mission that you've called us to wherever we are. God, I um, thank you for the concept of community, for the gift of community. Um, Please help us to continue to grow up into it. Um, Please give us more examples of good community than bad. Um, Please form our hearts in humility and in courage so that we can share what you've given us with other people so that we can open ourselves. And God, give us grace when someone does share with us or open themselves to us um, so that we can be listening, serving, bearing examples of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.